So I don't know where you go after an introduction like that, but um, you know, the testimony here is simply the grace of God at work in our lives. And I know I would speak for my wife that we just recently celebrated 53 years. I got that right. And uh, it's by the grace of God. And I would say that for all of us, you know, any testimony that we have, anything that we accomplish, anything that we are, it's by the grace of God. But for the grace of God, Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And so that's our testimony. And uh, I'm grateful that you guys are here today. Aren't you grateful for our church, for the unity that we have and the, you know, as I listen to things that are going on in different life groups and, and how God is working and the things that are talked about and the unity and the building of the brotherhood, the sisterhood in Christ, it just, it's rejoicing. It, it makes us rejoice because the grace of God is at work today in the lives of believers. And, um, I would just say this, that the immutability of God, and, and that's, uh, we had a breakfast here a few, or I guess it was last month at this point, with a few men, and we talked about the immutability of God. The fact that He never changes, that He is the same God in the Old Testament, He's the same God in the New Testament. God is the same, and, and if we have this idea that there's an Old Testament God and a New Testament God, then we've missed the whole point. Because God is the same. His grace, His love, His holiness, the requirements to serve Him, and what that is, it's all the same through the immutable grace of God. So, I'd just like to say how grateful I am for the song service this morning. You know, and I know all three of the elders have stated this at different times when they stood up ready to preach that it just seems as though the Holy Spirit picked out just the exact songs to highlight the, the message for that day that, that was what, going, what, what was going to be preached from the Word of God. And so, you know, it, I, just, I rejoice sitting back there and, and thinking about the songs that we're singing and praising to this God that we serve, this Christ who has obtained an eternal redemption for us. So, um, you know, as we look into the Word of God today, turn with me please to Hebrews chapter 9 verses 11 through 14. And you're probably wondering why it was that Pastor Dave stopped last week at verse 10. Well, I was the reason. Uh, I was asked some time ago if there was a passage in Hebrews that really spoke to me that I would like to to exposit and preach on, and uh, without knowing how it was going to break down in reading through Hebrews, that was the passage that really spoke to me, and I, I labored over that and, and prayed about it. And so uh, I, I know Dave would have loved to have preached and finished that passage there because the Old Covenant and the New Covenant and the contrast between the two, it, it's just astounding. And what we have as a result of the permanent priesthood 
compared to that which had to be repeated over and over again. So I'm grateful for this opportunity, and it's very humbling to uh, stand before any group of people and open the Word of God, whether you're teaching or preaching. It's a sobering thing. Because here you're taking the very breathed out Word of God, as it were, because that's what Scripture says. This is a very breathed out Word of God. And explain a holy and just God who is infinite and who knows no limits to us as a people who are limited in our understanding. And even the words that we use and and the descriptions that we have of this God that we serve almost seem trite in comparison to who God really is. And so this morning, we're going to attempt to exposit this passage and take a look at it and see if we can unfold it and um, see what God has for us today. So let's read the text and then we'll bow for prayer. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 14. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and cows, but by His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. That is the word of the Lord. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we bow in your presence and just praise your holy name. For an eternal redemption that we could never achieve. For a redemption that is holy and solely the work and regenerating power of Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray now that you would open our hearts and our minds that we might see and that we would behold great and wondrous things from the Word of God and that we might walk away from here this morning knowing that our redemption is eternal. That Jesus Christ has secured for all time and eternity through His blood, through His death, burial, and resurrection. He has secured our redemption and walked into the Holy of Holies and declared to God the Father, it is finished. So Father, we ask that You would do the work in hearts and lives today that only You can do. And we'll praise you, Father, for what you do and accomplish in and through your word. Use us this day in Jesus' name. Amen. You might 
recognize that as we go through this book of Hebrews, there's been some repetition. And it reminds me of the Israelites back in the days of the Old Testament, that they needed a constant reminder and a constant telling, if you will, of what God has done for them, who God is, and how God is leading them. And I noticed that as we go through this book of Hebrews, that we are being reminded time and again of the sufficiency of Christ. We're being reminded again of what Christ has done. And the reason? Because we have short memories. Because we have a sinful heart. So, let me ask you a rhetorical question. At redemption, what has been redeemed? Wouldn't it be nice if our minds were totally redeemed and we never had to then struggle with wrong thoughts or wrong motives? Wouldn't it be nice if our bodies were redeemed? We had this redeemed, sanctified body. But what was redeemed was our inner man where the Holy Spirit as a redeemed child of God resides and, and instructs and, and leads us in the way of righteousness. So we have this battle going back and forth between the flesh, our minds, and walking in the Spirit, being in the Spirit. In Hebrews chapter 1, we see Christ is superior to the prophets. In chapter 2, we've seen that He is superior to the angels. In chapter 3, we see, and, and in part of chapter 4, we see that He is superior to Moses and Joshua. In the rest of chapter 4 through chapter 7, we see how Christ is superior to Aaron and warning about the, the immaturity of believers and those that fall away. The writer of Hebrews is now making a transition from the old covenant that Pastor Dave preached and did a wonderful job last week of explaining all the, the, everything that went along with that. The old covenant and its worship that involved tents, tabernacles, temples, outer courts, inner courts, the constant sacrificing of animals, shedding their blood, and the cleansing rituals to the new covenant and the blood of Jesus Christ in that comparison. As Pastor Dave preached last week and so wonderfully explained that old covenant and its limitations and how it typified that which was to come, we now see this new covenant in Jesus Christ revealed and explained. The writer of Hebrews in this chapter is now turning our attention back to the great high priest, Jesus Christ, the great high priest of the new covenant after the order of Melchizedek. Only Jesus Christ serves in the heavenly tabernacle. Only Jesus Christ had offered himself as the perfect sacrifice so that the shedding of his blood can address our sin and guilt problem once for all to obtain for us an eternal salvation. Only Christ can cleanse our inner man and transform us for the privilege of serving and worshiping the one true God instead of the futility of our works, our dead works. If you're looking for an outline, it would be simply three points, and it does this passage really outlines very well. 
And that is point number one, but when Christ appeared. Don't you really love those verses that say, but God? Because something great is getting ready to happen. Something miraculous is getting ready to happen. But when Christ appeared, that's our first point. So that would be Christ, our high priest. He is our high priest. So the two subpoints in that is as high priest, and Dave, Pastor Dave, made reference to that in Leviticus last week, and you could go back and check that out and read that. I'll not read that for you, because uh, I think I only have an hour and a half or something like that, wasn't it? I, I, I think so. Um, and then the second subpoint under that would be good things to come. The new covenant. The second point is, but by his own blood, Christ our sacrifice. And to understand that, we look at man's total depravity, our sinful nature, and then we'll look at Christ's sufficiency. And I will say this, that, and I may repeat this later on, so, but if we have a high view of God and His attributes, and who God is, we'll have a low view of self. But when we reverse that, and we have a high view of self and a low view of God, His sacrifice all of a sudden doesn't seem that significant. It's like we downgrade, we belittle, as it were, the sacrifice of Christ and what He has actually done for us. And then the third point would be, but how much more the blood of Christ. In other words, Christ, our purification. And there's three subpoints under that, all wrapped up in verses 13 and 14 of our text. A purified conscience, freed from dead works, and serving the living God. The big idea today, and I will tell you, I did narrow that down from a whole paragraph. You know, there's just so much you want to say and, and get in there, but um, theosauruses and you know references and stuff you can help you really narrow it down. Only the blood of Jesus Christ under the new covenant can obtain an eternal redemption and cleanse our conscience from dead works. Only the blood of Jesus Christ under the new covenant can obtain eternal redemption and cleanse our conscience from dead works. When Christ appeared, all of those limitations disappeared. Look back for a second there in verse 10 of our text. It ended, that verse ends in, until the time of reformation. In other words, until the time that Christ will come with the perfect and complete cleansing, the reformation came, that reformation came in the person and work of Jesus Christ, changing the old system to an eternal system, and just at the right time, according to God's eternal purpose, Romans chapter 5 and verse 6 simply says this, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. From eternity past, God decreed that at the third uh, decade A.D., Christ should come to usher in that new covenant 
and we would forever be freed from the old covenant, the old sacrifices, that we would be now pointed to, and we, we see what the old covenant pointed to, was Jesus Christ. It's always been through Jesus Christ. Let's look at the first point. When Jesus appeared as our high priest. He, Christ, ushered in the new covenant. When we look at the, the phrase, Christ, when Christ came, we need to look at Romans chapter 3, verses 20 through 25. It's sort of an explanation or uh, an, an, I started to say addition, it's not an addition, but it sort of exposits and explains part of this text. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 simply says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The Day of Atonement under the Old Covenant only dealt with the sins of the previous year, and so needed to be repeated every year. The law was incapable of complete and eternal redemption. It only made us conscious of our sin. It only condemned us and revealed to us how much we needed a perfect sacrifice that would for all time and eternity with our, deal with our sin and justify us before a thrice holy God. This morning we sang, Holy, holy, holy. Let's just take a moment and just look at that for a minute. And I know Pastor Dave touched on this last week, coming before a holy God and how that a holy and just God desired to have fellowship with sinful man, but there was still that wall. And, and he so beautifully explained that at the moment Christ died, that veil was rent in twain. But what does holy, holy, holy mean? He is a thrice holy God. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. When the writer of, of Scripture and we know that to be, I'll just, I'm just going to say, when the Holy Spirit inspired Scripture and inspired the writer to write, holy, 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 it's actually holy, holier, holiest. And it raises the word holy to the superlative degree, which is the highest. There is none higher. So God in His holiness is as holy, He is the epitome of holy. He is the height of holiness. And yet, in our human language, it almost seems trite and a little bit insignificant as we try to explain how holy, how just, how awesome is this God who has called us, who has redeemed us, who has provided for us an eternal redemption through His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And I think in our culture today, we have truly lost sight 
and sad to say in many of our churches. We have lost the true sight of the holiness of God. And I won't go back and read. I know Pastor Dave last week read from the book of Isaiah, and we all know that story. When we come into the, you see examples throughout Scripture, all through the pages of Scripture, when someone recognizes and sees the true holiness of God and who and what He is, they fall as dead men before Him. We see our insignificance. We see our unholiness. We see who we are. We see our sinful state. And we cannot come in before the presence of a holy God. The heavenly beings that surround God's throne continually cry out. And by describing God in this way, the angels and heavenly beings are declaring that God is holy to a superlative degree. God's holiness describes each of His other attributes. You ever think about that? That all of God's attributes actually, you know, if you've never thought about it, God is not 25% holy, 10% love, uh, 5% forgiving, and it doesn't work that way. God is 100% of each and every attribute, and every attribute He has complements every other attribute, and all of His attributes are described by the holiness of God, who and what He is. And until we get a picture of the holiness of God and how He has provided for us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we'll never fully appreciate the sacrifice that Jesus provided, the redemption that we have in Jesus Christ. Christ is the purest of the pure. Christ's complete fulfillment of the law. Christ's complete obedience to the Father. And His sinless life makes Him and Him only uniquely qualified to be our high priest. We come to a point here in Hebrews that if there was going to be a permanent access to God, if there was going to be a cleansing of the conscience, and if there was going to be the totality of a pardon and redemption that is eternal, there had to be another one that would come. And as we see, the one who will come is the very person of God Himself in Jesus Christ. The second member of the Godhead. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's take another look at Romans chapter 3 and verses 21 through 25 and see what it has to say. It gives us a little bit more of a picture of what the writer here in Hebrews is saying. Provides sort of a commentary on the opening phrase, but when Christ appeared as a high priest. 
If you'll pardon me, I'm going to turn real quick there. I don't want to miss anything. Romans chapter 3. I had to borrow Dave's Bible. I have my big study, heavy study Bibles at home, and I didn't think it would look too kosher or something to carry one of those under my arm, you know, walking up here. Verse 21, chapter 3 of Romans. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I'm used to teaching, but I'm not used to preaching. You do get really dry. There in that verse in Romans, the righteousness of God has been revealed apart from the law through the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's as though God had been preparing the original readers for this in Scripture. The prophets have been testifying of these things. Essentially, Paul is telling the believers at Rome, if you read the Scriptures, this idea is not something new. And the idea that in this culture, in this day and age, that maybe we're saved by works, or we're saved by grace, but we're kept by works, that's nothing new. That was back in Paul's day. That was back in the early church days. Understanding the sufficiency of Christ. Understanding the completeness of what He has accomplished. This righteousness, the justification by His grace as a gift, comes through the gift of faith in Jesus Christ alone for all who believe. It's all Christ. John chapter 1, verse 13 simply says this. In this gospel, the first mention of being born again in the kingdom of God is mentioned here. And the term born again has become a cliche. A, a, a cliche and, one of the many, and, <laughs> and one of many cliches that people misunderstand. It's an important idea. So turn with me. I want you to see this. John chapter 1, verse 13. We'll start in verse 12. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, 
nor the will of man, but of God. When a child is born, all the effort, energy, and pain is endured by the mother. And yet, it is the child who experiences the most change, right? Salvation is exactly the same. It's because of Christ's suffering, His sacrifice and righteousness results in our benefit. Telling us that this does not occur by blood. It simply means that who were born not of blood. Simply means that it's not a natural occurrence or of heritage. We're not born again by some natural thing or because of our heritage, because mom and dad were born again, had been redeemed. The second phrase, nor the will of the flesh, means it's not of human decision. It's not man's free will which is carnal and corrupt and is enmity to God. It is impotent to everything that is spiritually good. Regeneration is ascribed to another will and power, the will and power of God. And then lastly, John states, it is not because of the will of man, which simply means that we cannot decide by our decisions that we or any other person can be a follower of Christ. It's not by man's intervention. There must be a divine intervention by God through the work of Jesus Christ. This rebirth is entirely the work of God and according to His will. Our salvation is not dependent on anything in our human nature, and that's good because if it was, we would all be lost forever. See, we have to understand who we are in the sight of God. Our sinful state. And if we don't, we miss the glorious gospel and the redeeming work, the significance of the redeeming work in Jesus Christ. God does not make any distinction. It goes on to say there back in Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory or the righteousness of God that we need to be in the presence of a thrice holy God. We need this perfect high priest to make a perfect sacrifice for us. The time of reformation has now arrived in the high priestly appearance of Jesus Christ. We now have the new covenant in place. What used to be the good things to come are now the good things that have come. Look at chapter 10, verse 1, there in Hebrews. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. We were in desperate need of a permanent sacrifice. And the transition from the old to the new eternal redemption came at just the right time in God's providence, in His sovereignty. That is when God elected for Jesus Christ to come and transition us to a permanent sacrifice.
Skip down to verse 12 there in that same chapter in Hebrews. But when Christ had offered for all time, this is huge. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. And back in chapter 9, verse 12, Jesus ushered in the new covenant and then entered into the heavenly holy of holies in the very presence of God. In the book of Hebrews, we see Christ as our propitiation, our mediator. And in this passage, our high priest who intercedes on our behalf. Remember back to Pastor Eric's message a few Sundays ago? In chapter 7, verse 25? Consequently, He, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, Jesus. Since He always lives to make intercession for them. When Jesus died, because he, came, because he came with His own blood. He didn't sacrifice another animal. He didn't come with somebody else's blood or some blood from any animal. He came by His own blood. And He marched and walked right into the holy of holies of God the Father. And it's through Him that Scripture tells us that we can walk boldly and come boldly into the throne of grace. It's because if we are in Christ, we have the right through Jesus Christ to walk into the very presence of God and pray and bring our, our request and find grace and mercy in time of need. Romans 8, chapter or chapter 8, verse 34, who is to condemn? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, this is the celebratory phrase. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And so Jesus, as He ushered in this more permanent and eternal redemption, now stands before the Father and names each one of His believers, each one that He died for, each one that He redeemed, He's interceding. He's standing before the Father and said, Father, you know this Dave Painter. I died for him. I redeemed him. He's one of mine, and I'm interceding for Him. You know, I mean, the very Son of God is pleading my cause, my case before God the Father. Moving on to the second point in this passage. Time really gets away from you up here, doesn't it? Christ our sacrifice. In verse 12, it says, He entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. To understand Christ's sacrifice and why it was necessary, we need to take a look at what Scripture says about men's sinful state or depravity. And for time's sake, I'm not going to read these, but 
I'll reference Psalm 53, verses 1 through 3. Isaiah 64, 6, Romans 3, verses 10 through 12. They all describe, and there are many other verses that talk about and describe our sinful state before a just and holy God. No one seeks after God on their own desires. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Well, I know it's in here. There we go. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And we're going to try to combine some of this for time's sake. Starting with verse 1. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So that's a, a commentary on where we are as lost and sinful people. We'll go ahead and read. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised up with Him and seated with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Christ's blood was sufficient to make the perfect sacrifice, and by His blood He secures an eternal redemption for the redeemed. On the Day of Atonement, He was able to go directly into the heavenly, holy of holies, directly into the presence of God the Father and to present for all time and eternity that once-for-all sacrifice of Himself. In the last six verses there in Ephesians chapter 2, or verses 4-10 through 10 that we read, those all explain and talk about the sufficiency of the work of Christ. We see God's mercy. We see His great love death to life, we see His grace, we see that we are seated in the heavenlies, His immeasurable riches, we see grace enables salvation, 
grace-enabled faith, not of works. We see an eternal gift, and we see that we are created for good works. Paul is writing in Colossians, there to the church at Colossae, and in chapter 2, verse 10, he simply says, and you are complete in Him. Let me jump ahead here and ask you a rhetorical question. Where do works like reading our Bible, going to church, being involved, doing good things for our neighbors, helping out wherever. Where does that fit in? Because you see, that can become a work. If we're just going to church to please God, we've missed the point that we are justified in Christ and in Him we are complete. And when God the Father looks at you, He looks at you through the blood of Jesus Christ and sees that you are holy, truly, and completely justified in His sight. And there's nothing that you can do to gain more favor, more acceptance in the sight of God because of the complete work of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30, the Apostle Paul, also writing, says that, in Christ we have all wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, or chapter 12 and verse 9, Paul records for us, my grace is sufficient for you. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul says, We have in Christ been blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Chapter 10 of Hebrews verse 14 says, By one offering He has perfected forever them that are His, or sanctified forever them that are His. So all of the scriptures, all of these scriptures, speak to the matter of the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ for redemption in every need in time and eternity. We are saved from our dead works to good works. And I want to close, I want to jump down to our third point, third and final point. And I apologize for going over, going long. I really thought I could get through all of this. But this passage, I hope that you take it home and meditate on the verses 11 through 14, as well as the rest of the book of Hebrews, because it is so significant and so magnificent in our walk with the Lord to help us understand the sufficiency of Christ, that Christ has laid the foundation. We no longer need to go back and lay that foundation that has been laid. We saw that earlier in the book of Hebrews. But we can build on that foundation and we can grow and mature in Christ and let Him come in and do that perfect work within us through 
the Holy Spirit through his death, burial, and resurrection. <clears throat> Looking at our third point, Christ our purification. And that's verses 13 and 14. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, if you miss all of that first part, hear this. How much more with the blood of Christ? Now for you English scholars out there, that next phrase is an adjectival and it describes what Christ has done. Have we got any teachers? No? Okay, so I'm safe. <laughs> Sounds good, right? But going back to the English class in college days, that's an adjectival that describes an adjective, what Christ is getting ready to do. So let's read it this way first time, then we're going to go back and take a second look. How much more will the blood of Christ purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And if you insert the modifier, who, that is Christ, through the eternal Spirit offered Himself. He was the scapegoat. He was the answer that we needed. The Old Covenant, weak as it was, had some good points. There was an external cleansing there. There was a temporal, external setting aside of sin. There was a covering for sin and a covering for defilement by the old sacrifices. There was a ceremonial cleansing by way of the old sacrifices. If the death of an unspeaking animal, an animal that didn't have a conscience, an animal that could not intercede, could bring outside cleansing, then look at the power of verse 14. How much more? Will the blood of Christ cleanse us? Because when He cleanses, He cleanses from the past, the present, and the future. You know the verse by heart. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Have you ever really analyzed that? I mean, it's, if I can figure it out, it's, it's not that complicated, right? East is from the west. So if he had said from north to south, at some point they would begin to intersect. Because at some point, if you're going north, you're going to eventually start going south. But if you go east to west, you're always going east, or you're always going west. I can't do the hands at different directions. And that's the significance, folks. And Christ can cleanse and purify our conscience from all sin because of His perfect work on the cross. Isaac Watts said this, not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away stain, but Christ, the heavenly Lamb, takes all all our sins away, a sacrifice of nobler, nobler name and richer blood than they. I'm going to close with this. Verse 14 says, Christ offered Himself through the eternal Spirit 
Christ Jesus did everything through His Spirit. He did everything on earth in obedience to the Father through the power of the Spirit, even His own sacrifice of death. And because Jesus Christ did this in verse 14, He will purge our conscience. That simply means He will clean it out free from guilt and give total forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Can you wrap your head around that? He will cleanse us from guilt. He will cleanse, clean out, and free from guilt our conscience in Christ. And I hope you begin to see the completeness of Christ, the cleansing power of Christ. And I want to close. And I just said that, didn't I? So that's typical preacher, right? Close three times. And just, I just want to say this. I'm going to finish with this. I promise. Verse 14 says that Christ is able to cleanse your conscience from dead works. Dead works is likely referring to the inability of the law to cleanse our conscience. You could go through all the motions of the law and the sacrifices and still have a guilty conscience. Religious observance might fool other people, but it does not fool God, and it does not fool the person. But there is a solution. We can enter the true holy of holies in heaven through Jesus Christ, where Jesus is there for us, and He sprinkles our hearts with His shed blood and cleanses our conscience. This frees us from the burden of guilt and shame so that we can take our focus off of our own inadequacies and instead focus on the work that God has prepared for us to do in obedience to Him. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we praise your holy name. We worship you this morning, Father, as the eternal and perfect sacrifice through Jesus Christ. And limited as we are, we don't understand fully God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, but we know that you are the great three in one. And that God through the Son was the one who gave Himself and ushered in the perfect and eternal redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that You would take this Word of God and that You would plant it deep within our hearts and that Holy, and then the Holy Spirit would be able to encourage, deepen our relationship with Christ. May we walk closer and freer with Christ. The truth shall set you free, Jesus said, when you know the truth. So Father, we just pray that you would do that perfect work in our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.